Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 62. For God alone my soul waits in silence, for my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my deliverance and my honor, my mighty rock. My refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And from Luke 5, um, But now more than ever, the word for, about Jesus spread abroad. Many crowds would gather to hear him and to be cured of their diseases, but he would withdraw to deserted places and pray. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Why did Jesus, in the midst of his ministry, with all that he had to do, with everything important that was on his list to accomplish before he headed for the cross, pull away from the people, pull away from the noise and the trappings of the world that he had willfully entered into, and isolate himself to sit in silence, in solitude, in prayer, with his father. If we're going to take seriously the gospel claims and the claims of the later or of the letters that actually even come earlier than the gospels themselves, then we believe that Jesus is God, that the second person of the Trinity, the Logos or Logos or the Word of God that was there in creation and even before creation, co eternal with the Father and the Spirit became human, took on human flesh in order to live the perfect human life for us. If we take that seriously, then it should be an odd thing to us that Jesus took these times away from the claptrap and all the crowds and the noise and isolated himself in silence and solitude. The, that one little phrase there in the Gospel of Luke and in other places in the Gospels about Jesus going away from the crowds and spending time alone in prayer should heighten our sense of some kind of weird thing that's going on in that text. If Jesus himself, who was God, sought time of silence and solitude and reflection in relationship with the Father, then it stands to reason that we as human beings are designed for times of silence and stillness, and reflection, and as we'll see next week, listening. We're starting a new sermon series this week that we're going to be doing through most of the summer called The Ten Christian Practices Every Christian Should Practice, or Every Christian Should Try. Uh, really just ten Christian practices, and we're going to be looking at different disciplines that have been around in the Christian faith for a very long time, and sometimes even share similarities of practices in other faith traditions. But these practices are um, there and have been practiced by other Christians throughout time and history because they are not only scriptural, but they produce fruit. And at some point or another, as the early Christians began to learn from what Jesus had taught them and learn from the Jewish tradition 
and practice these different disciplines, they were handed down generation after generation as things that were profitable for Christians to do. So every once in a while, a, a Christian teacher would get up and, and espouse the benefits of doing this discipline or that discipline. During the years where monasteries were being established, oftentimes away from cities and in quiet places or in holy places early in the Christian faith, the concept was to create a space of discipline in the Lord, seeking the Lord, and, and where people could commit themselves to prayer and to meditation and to silence and solitude and listening. And so these writers would write about their experiences in these disciplines, in these, these practices that they themselves were learning as they committed themselves to them daily, 24-7. And as they write and they, they give a wider understanding of these practices to the rest of the church, it's good for us to begin to think and to pray and to learn and, and discern. There's a place where you can find some of these writings and it's called the Philokalia. Now the Philokalia is a collection of writings of monks anywhere from as early as the third or fourth, fifth century, kind of that time. So the 300s, 400s um, or even all the way up until medieval times or even the 16th, 17th, 18th centuries in that time frame. And it's a whole volume set. Uh, the very first two volumes are the ones that I have read in the past using them as devotional material, learning about some of the practices. And it became very um, immediately obvious to me in reading the first volume of the Philokalia, and I'll put the word Philokalia on here so you guys will know what, how it's spelled. But the, essentially the word Philokalia is from two Greek words, and this is a um, collection from the Greek Orthodox Church of pulling together these ancient desert fathers or monastic fathers, um, writing about the disciplines together uh, with younger monks. Uh, the word philokalia is two different Greek words, philos um, or philo, which is Greek um, for the word love. We know this from Philadelphia or from just even knowing the different love languages in Greek um, that are the love words in Greek from the Gospels. And then kalos or kalia is what is good. So it's basically love of what is good, love is of what is wonderful. And so these, these collections were pulled together so that Christians might benefit from the experiences of the monasteries and what the monks were learning as they committed themselves to these practices. But as I began to read that first volume, I learned really quickly that silence and solitude was something that was very much um, sought after in the times of these monks. And that as they learned how to quiet themselves and listen to their own heart and listen to the Holy Spirit within them, they learned how to become transformed in a new way into the image of Jesus Christ. And they would warn each other that just getting away from everything wasn't enough. Just removing yourself from temptations, which a lot of the times these monks were doing by going into these isolated monasteries, um, that wasn't enough because if you ever were in front of the temptations once again, then that same temptation might come back into your heart if you haven't dealt with what's in your heart. And so the, these monks would regularly talk about the importance of sitting and being still in silence and solitude before the Lord, allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us as we still ourselves before God 
to transform us and to give us new desires, to give us a new heart that we might be able to live for God. And so we're starting this series on the practices with silence. And as we think about that gospel passage from Luke, uh, where Jesus goes off and spends time in silence and solitude, we, we realize that if Jesus, who is the perfect human being, an example for us of what humanity is supposed to be, and if Jesus, who is God himself, in, in a human um, flesh, in actual real humanity, being human in full, every single way we are human, then Jesus going and spending time in silence and solitude is even something that the divine Godhead seeks with each other, to sit before each other, um, Father, Son, and Spirit, and to commune with one another. And so this is something that we should take seriously. And yet, in our culture, it might be the most difficult practice for you to actually start. When I first started reading the Philokalia and I became aware of silence and solitude as a practice that had stretched back for many millennia, for over a millennia in the Christian church, and I started to seek silence and solitude myself, it was very difficult. I remember one of my early experiences with silence and solitude. I remember setting the scene and making it as quiet as I possibly could. I even had it be a dark room and it was just lit by candles and I was sitting. And after a little bit of time, when I finally was able to clear my thoughts from being overwhelming to me and to focus on God and on the promises of Jesus and to pray and center myself in Jesus, I became so aware of every little noise around me that it started to bug me. In fact, I became so aware of my own heartbeat and the sound of my own heartbeat in my body that it started to drive me nuts and I just quit. I couldn't do it anymore. And I called a friend of mine who was much more experienced in silence and solitude than I was. And I asked him, how do you push past that? How do you, is that a normal experience? And he assured me that it was and that with more practice, you would get used to these things and you would be able to quiet your heart, quiet your life and really sit before the Lord in stillness. And so I've continued to try and practice this over the years. But one of the places where I felt it the most, and I actually learned to appreciate the silence and the solitude the most, was on a hunting trip. Uh, not long ago, a friend from my previous church had um, asked me if I wanted to learn how to turkey hunt, and I, I did. I thought that would be a cool thing to go do. And so we went up to the UP to some farms that he was connected to the people who owned the farms, and so they had permission to, to hunt turkey, and we went for a fall uh, turkey hunt, not the spring. And sitting in the quiet for just hours and hours on end, waiting for a turkey to possibly show up, I found myself appreciating how quiet it was in the UP in comparison to the world we typically live in in more urban areas. And ever since then, I've been much more aware of just the noise pollution of urban areas. And it, it's meant more to me when there are times of silence, either late in the night when I get up to get something to eat or just to sit and pray or get a drink of water or something like that. I just notice the silence more than I would have before. On days where it snows fresh and there's less cars in the road and less people outside and you just go outside and you can hear uh, as this, even the snow acts as a sound absorber, a silence that isn't there in a normal day-to-day um, -day living. 
our, our country, our world is getting louder and louder. Studies have shown this, that as we have built up more urban areas, as we have developed more technology in the world, as we have become to, to live in more dense populations, that the entirety of the world has actually gone up with a noise pollution and decibel level that's unprecedented before us. And many scientists are worried about what this will do to humanity because it seems humanity is built to not have this constant stimulation of noise going on in their lives. I also noticed the noise a lot in the last couple of months because I've, as I've set up this camera and light and sat in my living room, there's been multiple occasions where as I'm sitting here and recording, all of a sudden somebody outside starts weed whacking or mowing their lawns or someone drives by with a loud motorcycle and it ruins my recording. <laughs> and sometimes I've left it in, sometimes I haven't. But I become acutely aware of how noisy the world is around us and it drives me nuts a little bit. Just to give a little reference point, 10, decimal po 10 decibels is about what the sound of normal breathing is. Moving a little bit further up, 50 decibels is, is around the, the sound of a refrigerator humming or maybe an office environment. Moving up a little bit more, 75 decibels is what, how loud it is when you flush the toilet. 90 decibels is how loud a subway machine, or 95 to 110 decibels is how loud a motorcycle is. 105, a snowblower. 110, a car horn or a baby crying. 110 to 120 decibels is when you start getting into rock concert territory. 120 or above you, is where we have these sirens that go off every uh, month for tornado warnings or, or chainsaws. 130, jackhammer, you've heard those before. 140, an airplane taking off, 150 firecrackers or other fireworks and beyond. And these noises, as a reference point, um, are constant. They're all over, the, constantly in our environments in a way that maybe people in the past didn't have. And so it's really, really hard for us to get away from the noise. On a practical level, it's hard to get away from the noise. But on an even uh, more pragmatic level, um, we have filled our lives with noise. I know for me personally, I'm usually running around with headphones in my ears as I'm doing some tasks that don't require me to be in extreme focus, and I'm listening to podcasts. I listen to a ton of podcasts. A lot of those podcasts are very uplifting and building in my life, teaching me different skills or knowledge that I need to know or helping me grow spiritually. And so much of the time, um, these podcasts are good podcasts, and yet I fill my time with them. When we're sitting in a room, we might just turn the TV on to have background noise or turn some music on to have background noise. Now, none of these things are bad, but what we've begun to do is become a, a, a little bit addicted to not having silence, to having something, some kind of noise in order to make ourselves feel normal because our worlds are just filled with noise all the time. And we hardly ever slow down and quiet down ourselves to listen. So this practice of silence and solitude is foundational, I think, for all the other practices. And I had a professor in seminary who challenged his students that as they build their, dis their disciplined lives in seeking Christ daily um, in, in their ministries, that he thought that you should spend one 24-hour period a month in silence, and then one weekend every quarter in silence or a period of time of like 48 hours-ish. 
And then one whole week in a silence and solitude retreat a year. Now, that's crazy. I've built that in as an actual goal for myself in the past, and I've never quite hit that kind of a pattern. And so I think that's a little bit much. But as you learn to quiet yourself before the Lord, I think just start with baby steps. Maybe this week, just choose an hour. Just choose an hour where you're not going to talk. And, and don't worry about the noises in the world. Just choose an hour where you, yourself, are going to be silent and you're not going to speak. And practice for that one hour just not speaking. Then maybe as you get used to that idea, um, make a comfortable place in your house. It's really important, I think, that you have a comfortable place to begin practicing this. A comfortable place in your house that's away from the busiest parts of your house, away from the most noise as you could possibly get it, and build a space that you can sit comfortably in silence. And maybe just select a 15-minute period to sit in that space and be silent before the Lord a couple of times a week. Not even every day, just a couple of times one week and see what that's like. And then as you begin to develop these practices more into your life, maybe then go for having a full hour of sitting in silence before the Lord or maybe, maybe go for a half an hour or maybe increase the frequency. Instead of 15 minutes a couple times a week, maybe 15 minutes every other day and then maybe 15 minutes every day. And learn to still yourself and to silence yourself before God. Now why? Why would we do this? Well, I think to a certain degree, the concept of Sabbath is a concept of stilling ourselves before the Lord. A day where we specifically focus on God, specifically focus on being in the presence of God, and where we remove ourselves from potential distractions that might cause us to lose our focus on the Lord. And so this is kind of almost like a mini Sabbath when we practice silence and solitude. When we get away from the humdrum and noise of the world around us and we begin to still ourselves before the Lord and recognize the presence of God in our lives then real interesting things begin to happen. I think it's in these moments that God really captures our attention and captures our heart and the Spirit begins to speak to us in new ways and we begin to learn how to listen to the ways of the Spirit as we meditate and reflect and we're going to be going through many of those other practices you can add into your time of silence and solitude in the weeks to come. Listening and meditation and prayer, confession, all these other things. But for now, practicing how to sit and be still before the Lord. And think about all the times in Scripture where this is important. Think about the many stories that you know from the Old Testament about people sitting and being still before the Lord and hearing the Lord's voice. Or God slowing people down and causing them to sit uh, like Elijah on the cave. Um, and, and it wasn't in the loud noises that God came, but it was in that still, small voice, the little whisper that God came. So try this out. Try this 15-minute thing out. Just at first try an hour of not speaking and, and practicing just not talking and, and being more aware of the noise around you. And then begin to build in this practice once you've built this safe and comfortable space for you to sit in silence and solitude. 15-minute segments of sitting in silence and solitude. 
And then as you begin to learn in the practices in the weeks to come about listening and about meditation, you can add some of these things into those times in that safe space and learn how to seek the Lord daily with these practices in your life. I encourage you to seek out a copy of the Philokalia and start reading it. It'll make no sense to you. <laughs> it's, it's very ancient and very old, and it's, it's, the language is, is a little bit difficult. But if you read and pray on the things that they're practicing and they're, they're learning and experience of these disciplines in their life, then you too can grow and learn from their experiences in your own experiences in seeking Christ daily. So let us choose. Let us choose to seek God daily. Let us choose to find new ways to reinvigorate ourselves. Let us choose to rediscover ancient ways to sit before the Lord and to be transformed in the presence of the Holy Spirit in friendship with God through Jesus Christ. Friends, go from worship today back into your lives, encouraged by the fact that God wants a relationship with you, that God built you and designed you to find meaning and value and purpose in a relationship with Him, and that He has called you, called you to set aside time to get away from the claptrap of the world, the noise of the world, and to find time to sit in stillness and silence before Him. So go into your world this week with the intention to carve out time to be silent before the Lord and to learn what it means to follow the command, be still and know that I am God. And may the God of the silence speak to you in his whispers and transform your heart into the image of Jesus Christ so that you may continue to be a beloved disciple witnessing to the good news of the resurrection everywhere you go. Amen.